Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. say live from an undisclosed location because we normally <laughs> record at the ABC studios in Columbus Circle. And we, we don't want our millions of listeners to like storm the studio. Well, but, but now, they kind of know now where it's at. They still don't know. <laughs> you know, I know Patrick is one of our billions of listeners. Right. Anyway, listen, we're, we're live at the U.S. Open. Uh, one of my, it's always one of my favorite events. Here with my tremendous co-host, the great Jamal Murphy. Great to be here as always. And to my right, the great Nabate Isles, and the world-class trumpeter. We're going to tell you more about plays with the big deal. Anyway, <laughs> the great Nabate Isles. Oh, pleasure. Thank you for having me. Right. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're really honored to have the president of the USTA, the new president of the USTA, uh, Patrick Galbraith. Am I pronouncing that? Gal- You're perfect. Galbraith. Yep. See, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> 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 but... Uh, uh, Patrick Galbraith, the uh, first uh, first year president of USDA, uh, succeeded Katrina Adams. Uh, first of all, just welcome to the show, Patrick. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, no, this is really tremendous. Now, let me ask you a question. So, Katrina was the first one to serve two terms. Now, is that going to become sort of de rigueur? I mean, are you going to serve two terms? Not at all. No, <laughs> that, that was the uh, first exception, I think, in over 100 years. And, and uh I think my coworkers uh, back in Seattle want me back after two years, so it's almost like I have two full-time jobs right now. Right wow. now, your your first tell us about your your real. I don't say your real job for now. This is your real job, yes. uh, but you're with a H. Uh, uh, you're with the bank, right? You're yeah, with, I'm with UBS. Yeah, they're actually having an event here, and I'm going later. Um, to with the president to speak at a, a client event, so they they thought, why not have the president since he's a UBS employee come speak? Oh, no, oh the president um, of of UBS. Oh, not the president. Not the president. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to make a comment about that. But no, you uh, already smart, smart man. Good luck with that. You're going to get us all canceled. <laughs> anyway, and it's, um, I know we are, we have tons of stuff to ask you, but number one, as I said, um, you know. In all my years, I was with the Times for 34-something years now with uh, ESPN, uh, uh, The Undefeated. This was always one of my favorite events. But you have a unique history in that you, you played here, too. I mean, not just you, know, you, you played here. What was your first experience, your first U.S. Open experience? So I've got, a, I've got great U.S. Open experiences and uh, stories to tell. But the first one was 1988. We won the NCAAs. We got a wild card into the... Uh, UCLA. You were at UCLA. I was at UCLA, yep. And... Uh, and uh, so, anyways, uh, we played uh, the defending uh, world champs, uh, Milosav Mechir, Tomas Schmidt, in the first round. And so I go to check in, and they were all excited. We were the wild card team. And they said, well, who are you playing? And I t- told them, they go, ah. Oh. And I'm like, no, that's, I'd rather play somebody that I know. I don't want to lose to somebody I've never heard of before. Right, right. And I never really thought about playing pro tennis prior really? to playing that U.S. Open. No, I was just going to play four years and then figure out what I was going to do after. And um, and then we played that match, and we played on grandstand. And I remember in the first set saying to my partner, Brian Garrow, you know, I'm going to serve out wide here, and I want to see what Mechir does with the ball, you know, <laughs> he run, how he runs over there and hits the backhand. And so 
We sat down after the first set, lost 6-3, and I turned to Brian and I go, they're not that much better than we are. Oh, wow. You know, like, wow. we've had fun now, now let's really start playing hard. And we lost the second set in a tiebreaker, and that was the first time where I'm like, I can play with these guys. Oh, I need wow. to work hard and I need to get a little better, but I know that I'm I'm in the conversation with them. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, isn't that something? I mean, you know, confidence. I mean, we talk about that with young people and all that, but how it's the smallest thing yeah. that you, you go into that match not not thinking of pros, and now all of a sudden, you know, this one match you think you could you could play professionally. Yeah, and you have you have two. You, U.S. Open Championships, mixed doubles? Mixed doubles, yes. Right, so, I mean, there's got to be some stories behind that. Well, the story behind that is pick a good partner. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's the key. So I played, uh, first year I went with Eleanor Reinick, uh, 1994. Uh, and then in 1996, played with uh, Lisa Raymond. Oh, wow. So Lisa, fantastic player. Um, Eleanor, we got lucky in the finals. It was super windy playing Woodbridge and Novotna, who oh, I should have wow. never beaten. But <laughs> we just kept the ball in play, and the wind kind of took the ball, and before we knew it, we won the match. Wow. And I want, want to ask you about why isn't the doubles game not as popular as the singles game? Why? Why? Because it's very fascinating how it's played, the strategy behind it. How come it's not as popular and not as engaging as the singles game? I think it's engaging to tennis players that play, you know, most players play doubles and you think, well, why isn't bigger? And mm -hmm. I think tennis fans just associate tennis with singles. Mm -hmm. right. Right. And so it's really the tennis enthusiasts that come out. I mean, for example, Indian Wells, you have huge tennis fans that go there. Yep. Huge crowds for doubles. Um, different parts of the world, it's bigger. Uh, England, it's fairly big. Australia, but um, France, it's not. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of where you're at and um, it's fun playing here. I mean, it is, yes, it's, you know, everyone's talking about the singles, but there's a lot of people that do come out and watch the doubles. Is Coco, mm -hmm. we can't go. We went seven minutes without mentioning her, so now it's Well like, done. <laughs> <laughs> Coco Ladies, and Katie baby. show. Yeah. But, but has, you know, but, but has, uh, what do they call themselves? What do they call themselves? McCoco. McCoco. McCoco yeah. have, they, have they focused more attention on doubles? And I mean, do you think it's like about them and this moment as opposed to this is going to have like a sweeping impact? on people watching doubles? I think it's a little bit of a, a short impact, but I look, you know, I mean, they filled grandstand. Right. You know, and I don't, I don't care if it's to see Coco. They were there to watch Coco and doubles. Right. And, and, and uh, um, so the McCoco team was really fun. It added, you know, some life to the U.S. Open. I think the Bryan brothers may have done right. more for yeah. doubles than anyone. I mean, they right. really brought it to the limelight and, and made it and uh, they made doubles bigger. Right. Uh, last but we, we you're about 10 more minutes for you, but uh, a couple of things. We were talking about Coco. How did you feel uh, the big moment, I guess, maybe one of the greatest moments of sportsmanship that I have seen probably in the last five years, 10 years, at the very end of the uh, of Coco's match. Right. How, how did you feel just not so much as a president, but just as a person who loves loves tennis i got i got teared up i mean it was emotional to see um naomi and coco you know have that exchange and then hear what that exchange was because a lot of times you hear well that was a private conversation and i'm not going to tell you what i said to the other player but to really hear kind of a human story and how it unfolded and that they you know had trained together and um i mean that's the the 
ultimate of sportsmanship right there. Yeah. What about the state of, of United States tennis? On the women's side, it looks great. Uh, young players, a diverse you know, array of players. Uh, the men's side probably leaves a little to be desired. You know, what's, your, what's your feeling on the overall state of, of American tennis? Uh, you, you kind of hit it on. The women, phenomenal. Phenomenal um, from, you know, I, I think there are, are the children growing up, you know, and then you have kind of the adults. You have um, Sloan and Madison and that group, and then you have, you know, the grandparents. You have <laughs> Venus and Serena. You have three generations. Serena, you just merged But they're winning. They're still right. winning. Right. I mean, right. that's the phenomenal part of it is right. that you have three different truly it's almost like generations of, of players out there playing and they're all being successful mm -hmm. and they're all in their own kind of strange way pushing each other and they're pushing the different groups i mean it's forcing serena and venus to stay young yeah. because mm -hmm. these and 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 the younger ones want to be like venus and serena and they've looked up to them since they held a racket in their right. hand and even Madison and, and Sloan and them the same way. So it's a real, and Sloan and Madison, you know, are trying to defend their turf with the new ones coming up. It's that, and it's, it's healthy. That's really good. The men don't quite have that. And when we went, if you look back when men's tennis in the United States was really strong, you had a big group. You had, you had Chang, Sampras, mm -hmm. Agassi, Courier, Martin, mm -hmm. Wheaton. I'm sure I'm missing a you few. You were part of that. You were in that era, right? I you, got to see them play. Yeah. I mean, I was playing doubles when they were playing. And I will say, um, Pete, Pete and Andre were fired up when Michael won the French Open. Mm -hmm. Because they right. were, it was in their group, and all of a sudden they saw Michael win the French, and they're like, wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. We're, and we're before they him. won their Grand Slams, right? right? right. They, they're mm -hmm. thinking, we're better than him, mm -hmm. and he won a Grand Slam. So if, they, <laughs> if he won one, then we need to win one. Mm -hmm. right. and, it, and it forces you to work harder and train harder. And I mean, even in, at my little level, the three best players in my section all played at the same club. And pressure was playing a tournament that weekend and showing up on Monday afternoon after school to be in a clinic with the other two. And you didn't want to go, go there if you lost. But right. you had to show up. And that was the motivation to win the tournament is I don't want to show up on Monday. <laughs> and that's the thing. When you, you, it, it, you get a group together, they do that. They, they push each other in a, in a very healthy way to work harder, play harder, and get better results. And speaking of a, a fellow Washingtonian, uh, Kurt Streeter says hello. Good. And, um, and he, he talked about how you both grew up together playing a very highly competitive as you, as you were talking about in the Washington area. But what are ways for young prodigies to be able, because you went back to get your education after your career, after your career. Um, what's, what's the way to, for these young prodigies to have a life outside, to build a life outside of tennis? Because it doesn't last. Like, what are the ways to get them to have other interests so they can be successes right after the game. Right, and it, it's harder now. I mean, uh, now a lot of the kids are homeschooled. Mm -hmm. I never went to an academy. I played at home. I figured I could get enough training, and then I'd get into college and go from there. Mm -hmm. But um, kids need to know nowadays that their career can last a very long time. I mean, you look at Serena, you look at Venus, you look at Rafa and Roger, mm -hmm. it doesn't end at 26 or 7 if mm -hmm. you're that good. Mm -hmm. So patience to kind of you know, build your foundation and, and go from there. But yeah, tennis is not, you can play tennis all your life, but you can't play it and make money all your life. Mm -hmm. And you've got to realize on, on the other side, and it's tough. I mean, players are treated very, very well at, at different tournaments. And um, all of a sudden, 
you pl stop playing and that goes away. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and you go back to reality, you know, Cinderella, the clock strikes midnight and here you are uh, living a normal life. And, right. and um, it's an adjustment for a lot of players. That's, I remember that's what Obama said. What's the big difference is when we walk into a room, nobody plays music. There's no band. <laughs> no band I just have a, a, one, one question for you, Pat. And this is sort of probably for another podcast, but do you think, you know, we always talk about diversity in tennis and where are not only the male athletes, but the black male athletes. And I guess I always think that, well, you've got the NBA, the NFL. There's so much trying to get that athlete we're talking about. Now, do you ever think we'll see today that there'll be that kind of break in? I mean, you look, there hasn't been another black man since Arthur Ashe. Mm -hmm. And I know we always kind of wring our hands, but I'm wondering if we could just kind of, not, not so much let it go, but... Do you, do you think and, and uh, do you think we'll ever see that kind of breakthrough? So you know, uh, or, or we are where we are. I hope so. I mean, I don't know if we will or not, but at some point, um, tennis is a very cheap sport to get going in. It really is. It's in a park, just like a basketball hoop or a field. It doesn't take a lot to get going. Um, I think that somewhere along the line, you know, in football, we don't get concussions playing tennis. Right. You know, and that's that's one of the things about uh, on the men's side is, I mean, that's how the Williams sisters got going. Richard Williams, you know, saw uh, uh, a woman win win a lot of money in a <laughs> tournament and say, I want my daughters to do that. And, right. and, and on and the men's side, yeah. there's so many more options of what they can do. But but you can make a lot of money. I mean, ask Roger Federer. Right. You know, yeah. he's, I think he's the fifth highest paid athlete. You can make a lot of money playing tennis. And, and that's a, that, you know, will force people where they go and what sport they play. But they have so many choices in the U.S. to make money. They can be, you know, a pro football player, pro basketball player, um, a pro baseball player. And tennis is down, down the line. It's a higher priority on, on, the, on the women's side. Well, one of the major uh, obligations of the U.S., TA is to develop talent. Um, are you, do you do anything special to try to, you know, especially on the men's side now? I mean, obviously, whatever you, you've done has worked on the women's side. But on the men's side, are you doing anything special now in terms of the neighborhoods that you're going into, uh, the people you're trying to reach out to in, term, in terms of, you know, diversity, not just diversity, but in terms of excellence? Yeah, I mean, I think it all starts at the recreation level. So it's, you know, we've got this brand called Net Generation. We're trying to get more kids to play. But, you know, I've said this to Martin Blackman is if we had five times the amount of kids playing tennis, your problems would be solved because it's a total numbers game. For, for every 10,000 kids that you have playing, a certain percentage are going to play D1, a right. certain percentage are going to play pro. Yeah, and so if we can get more kids playing the game, you're going to have them just speed up. And then then we, we solve a lot of problems. We have more kids playing. We all of a sudden have more Americans playing college tennis. We have more pros both on the men's and women's, and all is good. But it's that's where it starts. That is the base to get more, more kids playing. I guess we're getting the high sign uh, because this is the U.S. Open. You've got so many obligations. Mm -hmm. So re really, thank you so much for being here. This, is, this has really been great. You've got to come back. I'll come back. Not here, but you're going to come to our undisclosed location on uh, in Columbus Circle, yeah. which, which everybody You knows. will have to blindfold me and bring me in. Oh, we've yeah. we, we got the blindfold right here. Because our guest has been... Okay, good. Yeah, our, our guest has been uh, uh, Patrick Galbraith, the president of the USTA. Uh, it's been a great tournament. Yes, sir. And we look forward to it. Can you predict who you think is going to be in the finals? 
I had a prediction last night, and, and half of that prediction is wrong. So, <laughs> oh, so uh, right, on, right, at least I think on I the know. men's side, yeah. um, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's wide open. I mean, the last kind of 48 hours, the draws opened up a little bit, and we'll see. And, okay. uh, yeah. Yeah. and, and kudos to the beautiful, beautiful statue of Thea Gibson and beautiful artwork. It's great yeah, to, it's, to have it right here, resonating here. Uh, here at the U.S. Open, it's awesome. It's a, it is beautiful, and if you go, if you're here and you go there, there's a uh, a 3D. Uh, th- you can go on your phone and put it up to there, and it oh. comes to life. It's really cool. Wow. All right, hey Patrick, let's thank thank you so much, uh, and we will see you at our undisclosed location. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible has over 180,000 book titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. For you, the listeners of the Bill Roden on Sports podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. We highly recommend that you check out the classic $40 million slaves, the rise, fall, and redemption of the black athlete by the one and only William C. Roden, an absolute must-read. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on Sports. Again, that's audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports for your free audiobook. Aaron Matthewson is celebrating yet another birthday. Uh, happy birthday, Aaron. Thank you. Happy birthday. Right. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Aaron. Happy, I'm not too cool that's a nice, to say. That's a, that's a, that's happy a, birthday, you dear have a, Aaron. You have a nice voice. Happy birthday to you. No, you could have a new it's a, It runs in the family. You know what? Why don't you three? So y'all too cool to sing Happy Birthday. I can't sing. Oh, I, I'm my throat. That guy clear. Bullshit. Yeah. Bullshit. I ain't got no water. Bullshit. <laughs> uh, anyway, so listen. So Aaron, I can't sing in public. So, so and and you know, this is your birthday. So how was that? You know, what to tell us? Oh, I mean, it's still happening. Um, it's been fantastic. I've been, I woke up. Feel, I've been just feeling very grateful. You woke lately. up like this. Like this. I no, she had, mm-hmm. trust me. She, she, my brother. I told you, she, my brother. Uh-huh. Like fast for I mean, she was checking in at the uh, credentials desk, uh-huh. and she was, "How was your day?" Asking the woman, "How's your?" <laughs> Nobody asked them how their day is. Right. Was, how's your day? And they just had a conversation. That's what my brother would do. Right. You know, he'd be trying. He's he goes to like a place where they're selling stuff. He tries to sell something to, like, the vendor. Oh. Right, right. Anyway, go ahead, Aaron. I'm sorry. No, I'm so excited uh, to be here. Thanks to Jamal and Bill and Nabate Brospod. Um, and then I'm going out for cocktails later. So right. Very nice. Where are you going? Um, the White Hotel. In, in oh, yes. Okay. A, uh, That's the spot. Bar. That's the spot. Very yeah. nice. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. Very nice. So, so do you So That's good. So do you have any? You normally do your trip and check yes. segment. So uh, I do have a topic for you all today. Okay. Is it dark? Uh, I don't think so. I think you'll like this one. So, uh, when was the last time you guys went to a Taco Tuesday? Never. Never. Never? Never. I didn't even hear about it until LeBron started talking. Oh, he didn't invent this? No. no, and this is why we have to See, that's probably the same thing with his, with his damn uh, barbershop. Look at the barbershop. I told you, yeah. he stole the barbershop from you, Bill. Y'all are stealing <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, oh. Sorry. All right. All go right, ahead. All right. I like that. See, Aaron's forceful. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, Trip and Check, LeBron James is trying to, he filed a trademark for Taco Tuesday. 
He is definitely not the first person to file a trademark. In fact, I was reading LA Times, and I think the first trademark was filed in 1971. Mm. Um, Before he was even born. Yeah, in, in like Oklahoma. Like, it was it's crazy. But basically, the, the writer of the LA Times thinks that no one should have Taco Tuesday trademark because so many people use it. Uh, is is LeBron tripping? Like, he can't... Do you think he's going to win? Like, what's the point? And he, oh, by the way, he's going to, like, offer... He's going to, like, there's going to be podcasting. Like, it's going to be oh, an boy. event at his house. I mean, if he... If he, The thing with trademarks and all that, it depends what, you know, what you're using it for. So he's not really trying to take the entire phrase and not let anybody use it. But if he's using it for some entertainment purpose, he, you could call your entertainment, you know, whatever segment... Of, you're trying to do Taco Tuesday and maybe trademark it. I don't know. We'll see. Right. You know. But, yeah, that, that's a way for him why. to capitalize off of it because he can also, he should look into, like, endorsements with different, you know, different taco companies, Ortega, you know, like, or, well, not Taco Bell. They're just, just not quality food. But, I mean, just Ouch. like, you know, like, just places that deal with, with tacos and stuff. But it's funny. Pat Riley worked for him when he said three-peat. That turned three-peat, he made sure he trademarked that, <laughs> you know. So, um, but it's, it's a different thing, though. But, um, but, yeah, LeBron should look to try to build endorsements through that Taco Tuesday thing and try to have events, you know. Pot, like Maybe you said, should podcast, go to the border. Know? Maybe you should go to the border and hand out tacos to people at the board who really need it. I mean, right. You know, I mean, right. You know, let's take and, it to another level. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and stick it to uh, yeah, uh, 45. The, 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 you know? Yeah, the, well, the, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> also, do we know what the tacos are that he is, he is using? Because, you know, all tacos are not created equal. And I've heard that LeBron's tacos are Cincinnati tacos. Ew. And uh, maybe what? not. Cincinnati tacos. Kind of like, you know, it's just like cheese and meat. Like, it's like, there's, there's more to tacos. You got the guac, uh, pico de gallo, mm-hmm. uh, tomatoes. I don't know what LeBron has in his. <laughs> so maybe Probably very one. healthy. I bet you, you LeBron's so? tacos are healthy. Yeah, probably with some tofu but, in but, there. But, 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 but do you think that he should get the trademark? I mean, bottom line. Nah, I don't think so. Well, how can some, can I, okay, lawyer, if someone already has yeah, a trademark. Yeah, a lawyer. In case you guys didn't know, uh, Jamal Murphy is also a trained and practicing attorney. So right. what do you think, counselor? <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think he'll, he'll be able to trademark that. But like I said, it's been, he's not trying to, trying to take total control of the name. Like any, it's not going to stop anybody else from, from saying Taco Tuesday. He's not going into, it's not a restaurant. He's using it, he's probably using it, you know, in, in, this, in an entertainment purpose, for an entertainment purpose, or to, you know, some segment of his entertainment uh, empire. Empire. But I still don't, it still probably, probably will be tough for him to get a trademark on That's right, but, you know, this is the second time that I know if he's tra- he tried to trademark the barbershop. Well, he did. did. I don't, did he do it? The shop. The really? shop. Mm-hmm. Where, where people have been doing the barbershop. Right, but if he just gets it, you know, he just has it for a TV show, so now no other TV show or something, you know, for ex- I don't know exactly what went into it, but I'm assuming... Could do the shop. Yeah, you, you could do it on, you know, radio or a different medium. He has it on, you know, for TV now. Right. And even that, he pro- you could, someone else could come out with the shop. And But TV's more effective because you right. visualize the barbershop. If it was radio, you can't see. It, right. could, be, it could be from our undisclosed location. But Bill, like, like we were talking... <laughs> right, right. Your, but Bill, we, Bill's, your, your barbershop was what, much more authentic. Because you, nobody was drinking red wine, and there he was in the hood. Right. It wasn't in some like plush. We didn't have like leather seats. Well, maybe you do. Well, oh. actually, we're going to start doing it at your barbershop. Did you did you run that by uh, your guy? Not yet, but I will. 
They'll love, I mean, they love it. No, I mean, me? yeah, I mean, it was real people. Right. You know, I mean. Very we, real. Now, we did have, we did, we have regular people. Roger Goodell came in the barbershop. Mm-hmm. My barber, in Harlem, uh, David right? Stern. Yeah, in Harlem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. David Stern came in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Brown came in. But the people who were in the barbershop were just regular right. yes, people. We didn't have, like, Snoop yeah. Dogg and anything, <laughs> anything, anything like that. You didn't have Kevin Hart. Didn't have Kevin Hart. <laughs> Shout out to Kevin Hart. Who, yeah, I hope he's okay. Yeah, right. hope you're okay. He's his wife says he's going to be just fine. Okay. So oh, okay, good. So, because he he works out heavily too, so that yes. that's going to affect out his act his routine for a minute, you know, like for sure. So, thank God he's all right well, you though. Hope. So, you know, I feel like a lot of times you just what, you know that it's for his career. It, people should know that he's okay, but hopefully he really is. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, anything else? I mean, uh, Aaron, this is is this your first time at the Open? This is not my first time in the Open, but yeah. it's my first time co- like being a journalist at the Open. So. Yeah. What were you the other time? You just like hanging uh, out? Just hanging out. Yeah, Bill. Some people just come and watch sports, you know, because they enjoy. I can't. It, I can't know? even imagine. This <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, a few, few times. I mean, seriously, I've like a few times. You know, I've gone to like an event. Like a friend of mine said, "Oh, come on to the." You know, he has like he has season tickets to the Yankees. Right. Mm-hmm. So come on, sit with me at the Yankees game, uh, and in, in, in like the right field bleachers. Right. And I come and sit. Doesn't feel right. I'm like, you kidding me? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, you know, you being with fans and all that. Right. Then I take a break. I go, but you can drink a beer. I could go to the press box. <laughs> you know, but I go to the press box, get the meal, right. stretch out. You guys have been. But you, can't, you, can't, you can't drink a beer in the press box though. Now some guys do at the and very really? end. I've always that's always been bizarre to me. And it's, 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 and, what, and and you notice there's uh, alcohol in this press area. Oh, this so, yeah. So, yeah. You know, hope is totally thing. different. So, um, but it's right. so funny. Like, what's the first thing you look for when you're sitting in the stands? Like a television. Because you want to see the replay. You want to see the TV, right. like, in the press. Right. You have the, the television. Press box, that's we the got, first thing I'm looking for. Right. We like, got tons of TVs. TVs. Yep, yep. And what I will do <laughs> sometimes when I kind of go with the people, I will, um, you know, get a, a media guy mm-hmm. and give them come down, come down to the people, <laughs> and I'll give them, like, a media guy, uh, you know, nice. just to say. And then some, I remember seeing my friend. Then I disappeared for about seven innings because <laughs> I just couldn't take I mean. But you do that anyway. Disappear. But before 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 we get out of here, wait, wait, you have one more? Okay, one more trip. Oh, oh, now we're leaving. Oh, now, now, oh, now, now we're ending the show. <laughs> so, guys, this is a little more close to home. Okay. We are at the U.S. Open. So, Venus Williams, uh, she was ousted a while ago in the Open, I mean, August 25th. Uh, seems, seems like weeks ago. Yeah. Right. So the kind of the buzz on Twitter is that she should retire and do something else. Oh, Are wow. people tripping? Look at, yes, or, they're tripping. They're telling her when to retire. Or do you think it's time? That's a great question. Now, see, everybody know. I mean. It's like the reverse of what we were talking about with Coco. Like, is it too soon? Now you're trying to kick somebody out? Right. So, so don't, if she's too young, somebody's too old. I mean, the thing about sports, at some point, when people stop paying you, then, you know, at some point, it's not going to be Venus's decision. I mean, right. if she keeps, right. somebody, some term, when tournaments decide that she's no longer a draw, no longer worth the money, and they stop paying her, or she has to, like, pay her way there, and, or whatever Which it will is. It'll never be that bad. It'll never be that bad, because she's still a top 60 player. She's still, right, right. you know, she still qualifies easily all right. the time. And she's she wins won. rounds. Yeah, she's know? won. I mean, she, so, but I, I think that, you know, in terms of should fans say, I think when you feel like, A, it's like when people stop paying you, right. 
then that's probably when it's time to and not yeah. play anymore. Like, like it's, real it, life. It's funny. Yeah, right. Yeah, when people say they will offer you, <laughs> well, I won't say off the bottom. I, I got off the bottom. Well, they paid. I, they, but they paid. They did pay me. And I'm still getting paid. I, I got it. Yeah. Sensitive subject. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get a give a shout out to my to my guy Bree Smith. He's a big tennis guy. He um, also like he's spearheading a lot of tennis in the Bronx, up there like uh, Bronx tennis around Yan- near Yankee Stadium. But we had this debate, and he was saying, "Well, Venus is still like you said, winning rounds and everything like that." But but there's a difference. Venus at her peak was the best play, one of the best players of all time at her peak. Someone that's in their 60s that still hovers and still lasts to do it, they can do that. But the great players, when they become average, that's it doesn't make sense, you know. No, so but, but I, why, I, why is know. that? Because I always, I always wonder about that. Like Michael Jordan, it seems like it's an ego thing. Michael Jordan could probably play for another five years if he was just going to come off the bench, like mm-hmm. like Terry Carmelo. Right. They come off the bench, but I don't know what is ego or whatever. I can't come off the bench. No, it's not. No, it's not that. It's, it's just when you're known for, and like you said, but it alludes to what you said about money, like the endorsements. Like Venus is getting millions of dollars in endorsements. When that starts to go away, and you're just a regular player, it's like, why, why do it then? But also, you know? like, also that's the thing. being great also affords you the opportunity to to decide when it, when it's when it's your time to go. If you're still enjoying the game. Mm-hmm. You know, enjoy and, the game. And she's 39, so she's been doing it. She doesn't it, need the money you know? either. So, yeah. She, so, know, she's not doing it for yeah. money at this point. Right. Well, so she's probably. I, I mean, is there ever enough stuff is too much money? I don't no, think. But I, I don't and, think. And, and if she wins a round at the U.S. Open, what's that? You get about a couple hundred thousand per round, something like that? Just something like that's, that. Yeah. That's, that's, that could that's buy some good. furniture. Yeah. That's pretty good. That could so, buy some clothes. But, could, but, I'd take a couple hundred thousand dollars right about now. I can't win a game, though. But that's a far cry from 15 years ago when she's making, like, you know, like two million, you know, per tournament. She's had time to settle into. Or a little it. less. I'm now. sorry, a little less. She's yeah. had time to settle, in. and a lot of it was injury related and and health related, mm-hmm. and so it's been a while since she was she, she was like a top five I mean, player. It, yeah, yeah. And, if, and, if, and if I mean the thing is identity. I mean, if this has been since she was 15, 14. Mm-hmm. This was her identity right. as being right. a tennis player, and right. trust me, it is really. I think. For a lot of people, as in, when you quote unquote retire, mm-hmm. I mean, imagine Nabate if, you know, I mean, with musicians, I guess, or art is different because as long as you are, yeah. you, you can paint you or can whatever. Function, but, function yeah. yeah. But when you get to a point, and I, I don't even know when you get to a point where you just can't function, where you can't play, uh, I think for, for Venus to not be identified with tennis. I mean, the roar of the crowd. I mean, how how is that? I mean, how could that be? Like, you're used to this roar of the crowd and being mm-hmm. there. But what if she, but a, lot of, a lot of athletes are being identified with their activism, like the kind of trend. And so she's doing a lot with equal pay for women. Do you mm-hmm. think that would be? And also what, what we need to do is to get more blacks in the game to be playing at that level. She should be doing that, being a mentor and bringing up the Cocos, but even the 13-year-olds, the 12-year-olds, like, I think that's a way for her to make an impact, to each one teach one and to pay it forward. And uh, we need more dominant players like Venus and Serena. People you know? already, I mean, and, male, and black males, too, of course. Well, she can really, help. And she really can help need. with that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, that's the tough And she probably you know? is already helping. You know? You know? But I'm saying take it to a more intense level where that's your mission, you know? Because, well, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things her father said, I, I haven't heard about I'm concerned about their dad, Richard Williams. Really? Yeah, I'm concerned. I haven't heard of it. But um, one of the things he was saying is that he wanted to start a black, open like like, uh, like a black tennis camp or something. Mm-hmm. 
He said, because, you know, you guys are waiting for white people to create. He said, you can't, white people aren't going to create your hero or your champion. And he wanted to buy mm-hmm. some land somewhere mm-hmm. and start a, uh, there's Michelle Higgins, a New York Times photographer. Right. Coming in. Uh, well, Still on the trip. Uh, Chris. Uh, Chris. Uh, yeah. Uh, Come here. Yeah. Chris Whitmire. Do you have a chair? But, but Bill, you just made the you just made it to my point. Like Venus and Serena, they got the resources to be able to help Richard Williams with that. Before you know? Chris comes so. over, is LeBron tripping or not? Yes. 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 And he's not tripping because he's he's trying to, you know, expand his brand, make more money. He's not tripping. I mean he's not taking not like he's taking anything away from anybody. All right. Our quartet has expanded into a quintet. Uh, Chris Whitmer with the USTA. Chris, say hello, introduce yourself. This Hi, guys. Nice Isles over here. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hi, I'm Chris Whitmire. Nice to meet you. Hey, now. Nice to meet you. Over here, Chris Whitmire. We had a question. We're going to immediately put you on the hot seat. Sure. We, we're having a debate. Uh-oh. Uh, can you, can you, we were having a debate. Venus lost, what, last, or the first round, or the second round? Second, second round, round, I believe. And all of a sudden, people were tweeting in social media, oh, it's time for her to retire. And we were having a debate about that. I said, well, shouldn't that be on Venus? And, I, and my thing is, in athletics, athletics will make that decision for you. I mean, you know, when people stop paying you, then you'll stop. What do you think about it? I mean, you've been around the game for decades. What, what do you think about that? Well, I... I I think that's the athlete's decision and not the fan's decision, especially in a sport like tennis, which is an individual sport. I think you see in team sports, sometimes it's the team's decision, but that right. doesn't mean that particular athlete might not have an opportunity to try out or, or attempt to play for another team. So ultimately, it, it's the athlete's decision. I mean, I mean, Venus is still playing at a very high level. She's a very dangerous opponent. Anybody that gets her in the draw is not happy to see that. Right. You know, and uh, you know what she's done for this sport is is beyond belief. Uh, her push for equal prize money in Wimbledon. Right. You know, coming back from that, or not coming back, but balancing with the autoimmune uh, situation that she has. Uh, I mean, it's just got a, a tremendous amount of respect for Venus, and uh, I know. I'll speak personally, but also for the USTA and the American tennis community, will be very sorry uh, the day that she does decide to, mm-hmm. to retire. You know, whenever you lose a Hall of Famer uh, in your sport, you know, I think Venus is the type that will continue to give back over time, and uh, she's proven that. So I think she'll always be associated with tennis, no question. But when she decides to retire, it'll be her decision and nobody else's. How long have you been around the game? I mean, I know we've known each other for Decades, but how long have you been around the game? So I've been uh, uh, with the USTA for 17 years now, and uh, you know, lifelong tennis fan. But uh, you know, at the USTA and here at the US Open for 17 years. We, we've been talking about you know, the state of the game, uh, the men's and the women's side. There's a disparity on the women's side. There's, there's you know so much excitement from the American tennis players. A lot of a lot of women uh, making great strides, and on the men's side. We don't see, we haven't seen that at all. Uh, do you think it's just a, a cyclical thing where it's just you know ten years from now it could be different, or, or is there a real problem as far as developing men in tennis? Well, I would love to say it's a cyclical thing, but then that's a pretty long cycle we're facing right now. Uh, not having anybody uh, 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 win a major since Andy Roddick in '03. You know. Our team, led by Martin Blackman, uh, our uh, general manager of player development, 
is locked into this. You know, we, we could go down a litany of the lists of, you know, what impacts men versus women, the amount of opportunities from a pro career for men versus women, and how uh, uh, tennis is a very attractive proposition for elite female athletes. I think that is first and foremost, personally, that's what I think. But nevertheless, we need to try to crack that code. And uh, um, I don't have the answer. I'm not the player development person. Um, I, I don't know what the answer is, but we know we need to see some of our younger players uh, get, in, get into the second weeks of Grand Slams and, and start proving themselves like the American women have. And you Oh, go ahead. Is there a system that can be developed, that can be placed, maybe maybe on how foreign countries, maybe hiring someone from a foreign nation that can be able to be a consultant from that standpoint of how they develop the Russians, develop the, the Swiss, Belgians, you know, et cetera, et cetera? You know, it's, it, we, that's a very good question. Uh, we did hire Jose Higueras as our director of tennis. Obviously, Jose, a very uh, well-known and very accomplished coach out of Spain, Mm-hmm. Uh, he remains a consultant with us. Again, you know, Martin would be better suited to answer these specific questions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you look at what Spain has done, what France has done, mm-hmm. uh, nations that have developed a, 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 a very wide cadre of players of, you know, very elite and, and, and high performing. And one of the advantages they have, which it doesn't jump out at you until you think about it, is their countries are physically smaller geographically. So if you are a top player in Spain and or France or something like that, and that the federation, the tennis federation, develops a national academy, you might only be two, three hours from your home. Mm-hmm. Whereas here in the United States with the USTA national campus based in Orlando, obviously a lot of plane traffic in and out of Orlando, but if you're from Southern California, or you're from the Pacific Northwest, you're from Arizona, that's a big commitment. You know, you are not going to be, you know, do, do families want to make that decision? Do they want to send their, you know, their, their teenage son or teenage daughter cross country or, or all the way to Florida from New England? That's a much bigger decision than if you have your academy like geographically center in Spain or France. Now, that that's just a fact and it's so they have the ability sometimes in these other countries to really pull their like a magnet get all of their talent competing against each other when you think back to the Boletari Academy and Mm -hmm. where Martin did train actually the famous picture of him with Agassi and, and others you know you bring the best of the best together and then they hone their talents even more so that is a challenge. You know, we, we need tennis uh, to to attract uh, better athletes. Um, no offense to the Taylor Fritzes and Francis Tiafos of the world. They're great athletes, but we need bigger numbers. And so we are out there, and when I say we, I mean the USTA, the U.S. Tennis Association, to, to try to make it easier uh, uh, for people to access this sport. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have a, uh, a slogan or a saying inside our offices where we need tennis to look like America. And when tennis truly looks like America, then I think we're going to be back as the powerhouse that we, we should be and we we rightfully should be. Can, can we, I mean, I guess, and we've, I've written about it a long, I mean, 
it seems it's, as long as money, it seems like at some point when money becomes the the big obstacle, you wipe out a lot of people. I mean, you know what I'm saying? The, the, the kind of quote-unquote grassroots kind of people you typically see in basketball and football, it seems like money still seems to be a big barrier. And I don't know if there's a way that you could remove money as a barrier. I don't know if it's offering full scholarships, which only football and basketball can do. You know, so to me, that's been a consistent thing, that money, as long as money is that barrier, you're never going to, you know, when you say you want it to look like America, that's going to be an issue. Well, it'll be a wealthy America, it'll be a rich America. Well, I, I, Bill, I think that's an excellent point. You know, what is it that we can do to open access, if you will, uh, uh, broaden uh, the entryways? You know, I don't want to get too inside baseball here, but one of the things we are driving towards and we know we need to do, if you look at so, you know, if you're in Little League, right, you're in baseball, you're in Little League in your hometown, you play for your high school, and then you progress that way, and there's this natural system that's been there forever, and everybody understands it, right? Oh, I sign up for my Little League team, I play for my high school team, if I'm really good, maybe some colleges look at me, there's a pathway through, you know, uh, scouting and, and, and things of that nature. Same thing with uh, basketball whether it's your high school team or AAU or, or whatever it may be. Tennis, our competitive junior structure, is very far-flung, and it goes again to the geography thing. And once you have far-flung, that costs money. you got to fly, you got to get hotel rooms, you got your family, so you, maybe you need two hotels, all of that. So our goal, and what we need to do, is kind of shrink that in build the competitive pathway in distinct geographic areas. So New England's healthy, Florida's healthy, the mountain states are as healthy as, as Southern California is, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not incumbent upon the parent to say, geez, I got to go to Michigan and now I got to go to Arizona. That's like, that's a big ask. And that is where the money does become a barrier. So we are... We're not there yet, but we are actively looking to restructure that competitive pathway for, for elite juniors. I guess me, Chris Whitmire, the, uh, you know, I haven't seen in 30 years, you're the <laughs> tournament management? No, tournament? so my, yeah, my <laughs> role is I'm the managing director of communications uh, for the USTA, and so a bunch of different things fall under my scope, including working with y'all and, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, doing different things with publishing and putting out uh, uh, pieces of information, all that kind of stuff. So Chris is a Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look behind that curtain, though. 17 years part of the USTA. What's the most resonating memory of this U.S. Open? We've had so many great moments, but to you, what has really made you a fan when you watch a certain match live? You know, I mean, to me, one of the moments, special moments, was that uh, Agassi-Blake late-night match as Bill knows, before I was uh, uh, joined the USTA, I was with the NFL and uh, had the great opportunity to work, to work for the National Football League, did a number of Super Bowls, all that kind of stuff. And though I was a tennis player, um, if I did come to the U.S. Open, it was generally in that first week daytime because mm -hmm. you get all that feel, all those matches going on. And, right. You know, it's a different event at night. And. And that night, you know, when, when uh, we made the decision, meeting the USTA made the decision, let everybody down, 
out of the promenade, out of the lows, bring them on down to courtside. It was 1.32 in the morning. These two fellas were battling. It was an epic match. And it, 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 it just, I was like, wow, this is the U.S. Open. But if you're asking me what the most special moment this year was, it wasn't even on the court. It was uh, uh, the unveiling of the Althea yes. Gibson sculpture. Right. Just thought that was a special moment and a very special way to start this tournament. Uh, Long-deserved honor. Uh, I thought Eric Goulder, the sculptor, it just he did a fantastic job. And uh, to me, that was you know that's what's going to resonate with me in 2019. Uh, to be to be honest with you, more than what's taking place on the court. Absolutely. I, I thought you may have said the moment uh, when uh, Coco Golf lost. Uh, to uh, yeah. Osaka. Uh, Osaka. To me, that moment, I mean, you know, and maybe it's just the, the environment that we're in. I think the same day that happened, you had the massacre in uh, Texas, and it's just, there's this funk. I guess, who called it? Jimmy Malay? Uh, Jimmy Carr called it the Malays. It just seems to be this thing in contemporary American society where we're on edge, we're kind of at each other's throats and all that. To me, that moment, when Osaka won, and she had this 15-year-old girl, and she said, hey, listen, I want you to share this. It was such a thing of giving and sharing. And I'm thinking, man, you know, particularly on that day, when I think early in the day we had this terrible sure. incident, you know, I thought that to me, I mean, I, I agree with you historically about Althea, but just sort of here now, I thought that was like something that we all needed, like almost like Osaka felt the, the pulse of the nation. <laughs> and we said, you know what, we need this moment. Well, I, you know, I mean, now I feel bad saying it was Althea. <laughs> that, that was my point, Chris. <laughs> well, well, but Althea, you know I love you. <laughs> oh, well, can I change my mind? Hey, was Jamal, this on the record? Jamal's, Jamal's editing. You can add, if, you, if you're nice to, but anyway, but, but, but what, your, your, your point. No, I, you know, look, I mean, it was a very special Sorry. moment. There's no doubt. And the, the other thing is with that, First of all, it was Naomi uh, in her generosity of spirit. But, you know, it's also, you see how Coco reacted to that, didn't want to steal her th Naomi's thunder in a certain way. And you get two special people like that. It's, it, was, it, was, it was something, hadn't really seen that before. A little bit when, when Sloan and Madison sat together after that uh, U.S. Open Mm -hmm. um, and, and instead of the competitors being on the opposite side of the chair ump's uh, chair stand, Sloan and Madison Sloan sat with Madison and they shared that moment together. So you've seen certain things like that. But I mean, you know, Bill, you and I have had these talks a little bit about you know the the, the uh, where we're at as a country and, and you know the broader forces that we have to contend with here, which are. You know, reasonable people just want to pull their hair out and say, you know, what the heck is going on here? And uh, so in light of that, I think, you know, it was probably heightened as well, uh, you know, and, and really captured people's hearts and, and, and imagination. You know, it's funny, Coco is a very special young woman. She's so mature and poised for her age. You know, I'll give you a very quick moment. Uh, our wheelchair tournament uh, began uh, uh, today, the the the, wheel, the draw for the wheelchair tournament happened, and now that competition will play out over the last four days of this tournament. And what we do 
every year uh, for those players as we bring them to a Broadway show the night before the draw ceremony, give them something like a, a New York moment, done different shows before. And last night, uh, uh, our team brought them to see The Lion King. Uh, for whatever, and, and generally what will happen is the players will go meet the cast and photos will be taken and things like that. But for whatever reason, it wasn't working out with the Lion King cast. But don't know something, things, you, you never know. It's a courtesy and whatnot. So uh, my guy, Tom Ledoux, who interacts with the wheelchair team, thought he had heard that Coco was at the same show, as it turned out. And turns out she was. So, you know, he's reaching out to Coco's agent and saying, hey, if she's still here, do you think she would do a photo with the wheelchair team? So he's coming down the elevator. The doors open up. There's Coco Goff right in yes. front of him. Yes. And he goes, hey, Coco, I'm Tom. I'm with the USTA. Would you take a picture with the wheelchair team? She said, sure, let's go. Mm. She jumps in the elevator, goes down to the lobby. Everybody lines up. They get wow. the picture with Coco. I wow. mean, it was like. Her poise, her maturity, and her generosity, uh, she's a special person. So she ended up going to the line because she mentioned that at her last presser, yeah. that she was going to check that out. So, yeah. yeah she's, a, she's amazing. Yeah. 15-year-old. Well, I mean, for, for a 21-year-old. Oh. For, for a lot of 35-year-olds. <laughs> you know, hey, well, I won't mention any names. I have a question. <laughs> yes. Definitely there's been so many beautiful moments between players, but what about between players and referees? I know after last year with Serena and the official, there was talk about um, the differences between the, the way men, uh, male players are treated by referees versus women. And I'm wondering if the USTA has kind of talked to players about their decorum since then. Or well, I, that's a very fair question. Um, like, we actually did a pretty, we attempted to uh, like kind of dive into the data, start looking at the code violations, see if there's discrepancies. And, uh, we put a program in place. Do we talk to the players? To be honest with you, we talked more with the officials. Mm. And we put together a program that's a little bit more robust prior to the U.S. Open for the chair umpires that this year was, hey, tennis is an odd sport in, in many ways, but in one way is there's a lot of rule books. There's a different rule book for the ITF, the International Tennis Federation. There's a different rule book for the WTA Tour. There's a different rule book for the ATP. There's a different rule book for the Grand Slams, the Grand Slam rule book. So if you're, it's all very close, but you can coach in the WTA Tour. You can't in the ATP. Oh, wow. You can coach at the U.S. Open for juniors and qualifying, but you can't do that at other grants. So these little nuances sometimes. So we said, you know what? Coming off of last year, let's let's get the chair ups together and do a much more uh, broader dive with them, speaking to them about how we want the U.S. Open to be managed uh, out of the chair. Uh, included in that was uh, sessions on implicit bias training. Mm. You know, I mean, look, I don't know what biases that I have that I'm unaware of. I might not. I might treat short people different than, than tall people without even realizing it and, uh, until it's pointed out to me or whatever right, that might right, be. Right. So, you know, what we wanted to do more than anything was develop, um, develop consistency in approach to calls. There's always discretion at any in any professional sport. What's a flagrant foul? What's pass right. interference? Was there holding? You know, was that racket abuse? Was that verbal abuse? You know, did that player receive coaching signals or not? And what... 
you know, what's a strike? What's a ball? Right. I mean, you know, the most discretion of all. I mean, we're watching right. that on right. virtually every pitch. Right. Right. Anyhow, we needed to start working with the chair umps and providing them opportunities to, to, to hear from us on how we view it from an officiating point of view and how we would like them to handle it here at the U.S. Open, and that's what we did. Uh, so, you know, violations are still being called. People are still being fined. But I believe that we're seeing greater consistency this year. Hey, Chris, for, for, before we – actually, we're going to end. But that was actually a great great question because we were talking about that. And I was – you actually answered my question because I thought that with the whole eye in the sky, that pretty much, you know, if that were existing when Connors was playing and, I, you know, we wouldn't have those outbursts because a lot of those outbursts were about the lines. The lines. So I'm thinking, well, what's left? You just kind of. I guess there's still stuff. There's still things that players can complain about. You know what? There's always stuff for players to complain about. <laughs> right. Right. That will never end. Right. Right. Heat of competition. Yes. Right. Right. But what is? I mean, what? What? I just saw in, in the Montfis, the the guy who's playing. Did something with his foot. There, there was something he was complaining about, asking the chair up about something. That was probably because uh, they didn't get the, it started a suddenly a, a burst shower, and so he was like, hey, it's a little wet here. Uh, okay. But, but th that being said, you know, one of the things that tennis did, you know, by instituting uh, electronic line calling is you took the, you know, you took the mistakes out, if you will, of the bottom line call, similar to what other sports are now doing baseball, et cetera, to review safer route at, at first base, second base, wherever it might be. And, you know, that goes to consistency. You don't want a player to lose or win because it was, it was a missed call. You want him to win. You want her to win because she played well and, and she won. And, but the discretion still goes in, just to answer your question real quick, Bill, is, is much more behavioral. Right. Okay, right, right. What, you know, how are you behave? Are you behaving in a sportsmanlike manner? Are you doing things? Did I hear an audible obscenity? Do you have, you know, are you, you know, are you, are you doing things to throw off your opponent in ways that are just not the right way to do it? Tennis is weird. I'm, I'm sure, like all sports, to a certain degree, but tennis, there are times like a player will do an outburst in a language that nobody in the stands knows, <laughs> but the chair ump does. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, Nick Harris does in English. <laughs> I always wonder why. Always wonder why Is Australian really English? <laughs> Sometimes I don't understand. It. I always wonder why the chair umpire uh -oh. gets so much gets so much flack. I always wonder why the chair umpire gets so much flack. He barely makes any calls. I know. Right. Because when he makes a call, he's calling something against somebody, so they're not happy. Right. <laughs> that's, that's right. But lastly, we, we, we began the conversation asking you about Venus and retirement. You know, this is another sport. What sport you feel? Andrew Luck. So Andrew Luck, he does decide to retire, and he gets grief. I mean, some people, you know, boo him for it, and then out, some people boo him. So his I guess, own crowd. His, his own, own crowd. Fans, <laughs> we pay. We had season tickets. I mean, you know. <laughs> It's, it's like, you know, you're kind of damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Yeah, that's sports. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's right. And look, who am I or who's anybody to question Andrew Luck's decision? You know, it's a lot. Like, I love football. I'm an avid fan. Watch it all the time. But, I mean, that sport has a different toll on your body than other sports. And that's just a fact. And 
if he felt it was the time for him to retire, who could argue with that? Right. Well, the fans, the season ticket yeah, holders. Yeah, well, there's that. Come on, we but, want our pound of flesh. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, obviously I think that's incredibly unfair of them. But, you know, it would be one thing, like, okay, you know that Serena Williams is playing and or Roger Federer is playing, and then you come and he says or she says, no, nah, I'm not going to play today. Hmm. I can see why you're mad because you spent your money to see them. But football is a team sport. I mean, it's I get it. The quarterback's number one. I get all that. But it's still a team sport. So you're watching and rooting for your team. And so I don't think that was fair to Andrew at all. And we had yeah. that a little bit here with uh, Djokovic when he retired in that third set. He got he heard some boos. People, you know, people, fans are fanatics. They're, they're emotional. We want money. Hey, Chris, this is great. This is, is it impromptu. We want to tell everybody, Bill Ronald, this was impromptu. Chris was... You know, just taking a break. Yep. Just walking on by. Just walking on by, minding his own business, and here we come. <laughs> hey, hey, but Chris, thank you so it's much. My pleasure. You've been really been great nice to meet deal you all with. as well. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you, now, folks. I think that's it, right? We've had a, we've had we've talked to Chris. We've talked to Patrick. Uh, I think that's it. Hey, Chris, thanks so much. Hey. So this is everybody. Another version of Bill Roden on Sports. Uh, Nabate, thank you very much. Thank you. Aaron, Aaron just showed me that uh, Ezekiel Elliott uh, signed the uh, you know $90 million deal. Uh, he's back. He'll be back on the field Sunday. That's right. Talk, back, speaking of football. In back shape. On, back in on shape. the plantation. <laughs> that's right. But, and, I, and I got Tony Pollard. But, you know, I was hoping he at least get one start in there, but that's not going to happen. So I got to bench him on my fantasy football team. Hey, here's a, here's a <laughs> fan. Fan. <laughs> that was Zeke. Here's an interesting <laughs> fantasy thing. So I'm, I'm doing a fantasy draft last night. It gets to the last round, my last round of picking uh, players besides kickers and defense. So it was like two rounds left. Do you know Tom Brady was still available? I already had two quarterbacks. I, had to, I just couldn't let him was slide Was it a 10-team league? 10-team league? No, it was a 12-team league. So can we? I couldn't believe he dropped that far. How are the wow. quarterback numbers? Probably the quarterback numbers aren't as, res, as like running backs and wide receivers. Probably that's why, maybe. No, no, it's the same. It's wow. The same. I already Tom, had. I already wow, had, that's crazy. Um, I took Mayfield, and I even had Lamar, Lamar Jackson. Of course, for the running um, yards. I had two quarterbacks where I was like, I can't let Tom fall on you for yeah. I felt bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Real quick, guys. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, uh, New York Times uh, race and politics reporter, says that the word plantation is canceled and that she's using forced labor camps. She's no longer using the word plantation, or at least not in the 1619 Project. I wonder what you thought about that. She's using forced labor? Forced labor camp instead of plantation. Forced labor camp. She said that plantation makes it too, it's too soft, essentially. Mm. And that forced labor camp says, really says what it is. Wow, I like that. That's good. I like that. I always thought plantation was kind of hard. There's no day at the <laughs> beach. I mean, well, the reality of the plantation, I mean, I don't care what I you call like it. I see that word. Right, yeah. Right, right, right. If they told me that you're on the plantation, I don't like that. Well, yeah. For us, camp. if they tell us that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah forget yeah. it. But, yeah. I get it. I mean, listen, you know. But if you tell any race forced labor, like, oh, my God, oh, my God. It is forced labor, although there, there's some people. See, the time on the plantation, some people on the plantation really wanted to be there. I mean. They well, were the like, house cats. The house, the house, uh, the house Negroes. Yeah, yeah, the, I ain't being forced to stay here. I want to stay here. Master loved it. Yeah. I, I want to tell Master what's going yeah, on yeah, out yeah. there. That's yeah. right. Y'all can leave. You can leave if you want. And guess what? I'm going to tell you. But you know what? I, I guess, you know, I think that uh, it's food for thought. Yeah. It's food for thought. You know? mm -hmm. Okay. And with that note. <laughs> 
we're gonna leave, we're gonna leave this forced labor camp. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, this is volunteer slavery. Yes, yeah, it's, a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty nice camp. Like think, reconstruction. Yeah, I wonder what she like thinks about that volunteer time. slavery. You know, like reconstruction. Right. Where, where we gonna go? Yeah, where you we know? gonna go? You're, you're free now. Really? <laughs> right. mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Hey, listen. Uh, the, hey, the guys, it's been great. You know, then we put the, we strung together a great podcast from the U.S. Open. I think we should come to the U.S. I think we should. Continue to do live stuff. Yeah, that's football, football coming up. I'd like to thank Erin uh, Matthewson from coming out here on her birthday. Yes, uh, happy birthday! Happy again. birthday! My pleasure. Again. This is awesome. Yeah. So thank you. Happy and, uh, birthday it's not work with you guys. To you. Happy birthday to you. You'll, you'll be able to fade this happy out, right, Jamal? <laughs> yeah. That's why I told you I shouldn't sing. I told you why. No, yeah. you, no, you're clowning around. You can really sing. You can probably really sing. Right? Oh, uh, no, no, I, you can sing. Yeah. Jamal can sing. I have to warm up. Y'all just just clean. I damn sure I can't sing. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. God bless. We may see you. We may do one more podcast. Later. I don't think so. It's Wednesday. Bye. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.